Hello and welcome to Teen Educate, a light-hearted, discussion-based podcast made with teachers for teachers. So grab a cuppa, sit back and relax as we delve into a new slice of education chit-chat with every show. In this episode, we talk to Lorraine Smith. As a mindfulness teacher, Lorraine is passionate about bringing mindfulness into school. And in this episode, we explore how we as teachers can do just that, both for the benefit of our students and ourselves. I hope you like it. Hi, Lorraine. How are you? Hi, Megan. You okay? I'm good, thank you. So my standard initial questions are being asked with a little bit of a twist this time. But to start us off, why did you choose to become a mindfulness teacher and what led you down that career path? I think it all started with the children. That's always always the case, isn't it, when when you have them? Um, It started when my eldest started year one. Um, I realised what pressures the kids were under from the very beginning of their school career, you know, the change, friendships, the schoolwork and learning, settling in. And then speaking to parents with older kids, you realise that it just gets even more challenging as they get older. It doesn't get less and the challenges change um, as they get older with exams and romantic relationships as well. So I kind of wanted to do something to help my daughter really navigate the storms that would be um, presented to her as she went through life rather than just sort of moan about it and I guess fear it and I'd benefited so much from meditation before after our second child was born I had the usual you know baby blues which looking back now was probably tipping over into postnatal depression and um, what with a lack of sleep and dealing with a toddler and a newborn and so I enrolled on a beginner's meditation course with a lady around the road from us in Epsom where we were living um, I'm not sure how formal it was um, to be honest but it was brilliant we used to go to her house every Monday and sit in a room above her garage and she would teach us how to meditate and even if it, it wasn't a sort of formal meditation practice, it was that break. It was that taking time out just for you and just being really that made a huge difference to my life. So I did a bit of research and Googled meditation for kids and the Mindfulness in Schools project came up. Um, it's a charity and an established provider for mindfulness training for schools. And they had teacher training for a curriculum aimed at primary school kids. And so I enrolled and no word of a lie, it's literally the best thing I've ever done. So much so that I did their teacher training for secondary school kids this summer and I just wish that I'd had these courses available to me when I was at school because they're just they're really inspirational and to be honest I get as much out of it as the children do. What was your proudest moment from your role as a mindfulness teacher and why? I think definitely taking the first class at my daughter's school and it was actually her class as well. Um, I don't know how you teachers do it on a daily basis, seriously. Um, I'm so nervous and uh, I was also excited to deliver the curriculum. So I like bounded into the classroom that first afternoon and there were 28 pairs of eyes on staring at me and I just froze. It was like a rabbit in the proverbial headlights, but we got through it. I think we all had a lot of fun. Um, not all of them joined in with the practice when I was teaching but as the weeks went by more and more of them had a go and they were all engaged in the, su- in the subject matter and that really felt amazing so I think that was my proudest moment just actually getting through my first class. It's so lovely that your first class was with your daughter. It was when I say 28 pairs of eyes one of them was hers and like basically pleading with me not to be rubbish and to show her up in front <laughs> of her friends um, so um, yeah it was and I don't know lots of people say you can't teach your own children and it is kind of the same with Sophie you know she, she won't do as I you know say oh come on let's go and do a mindfulness practice nope nope so it's a bit more tough to get her to do it oh bless her and what has been the most valuable lesson that you have learned either in your role as a mindfulness teacher or more generally in your work in life okay so I think the biggest lesson is probably from my previous life as a city solicitor in London that basically is to take care of yourself. Self-care is, is hugely important and you can burn out without even noticing you're on the road to it. 
and I've seen so many people do it um, and self-care just isn't selfish it's not self-absorbed it's essential you know they say fit your own oxygen, ma- oxygen mask first and I think that learning that self-care is okay it's okay to look after yourself is one of the biggest lessons that I've learned and I'm grateful for. So today we are focusing on mindfulness within education and how it can benefit our students, but also us as teachers and everyone more generally. To get us started, it's probably therefore best to ask how you would describe what mindfulness is and what your role as a mindfulness teacher involves. Do you know what? That's actually a really good question. I mean, it seems quite an obvious one to ask in this context, but it's a really, really good question, especially now more than ever, this term mindfulness is banded around a lot. But what exactly is it? Um, In very simple terms, it's the ability to be present and less distracted in any given moment being aware of what's happening around you and not worrying about the past or what might happen in the future and just showing up really and just showing up for the good stuff in your life as well, you know, not just the bad. And the best way of looking at it is actually through uh, a scene from the film Kung Fu Panda. I don't know if you've seen that, but um, there's something that Master Ugwe says when Poe's feeling sad that he's not quite as good at Kung Fu as his peers. And he says, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. And that is why they call it the present. And every time I see that scene, I'm like, oh my God, that's it. You know, that perfectly embodies the essence of mindfulness. And John Kabat-Zinn is the guy uh, who brought mindfulness to the West, actually. He's a medical professor over at the University of Massachusetts. And he described mindfulness as being alive and knowing it. And I think that's also a really good way of, you know, describing it. It's all the little moments that you notice along the way. So my role as a mindfulness teacher is to give the children a taster of mindfulness and show them how it works and some practices they can use if and when they want to or if they need to. It's really about the possibilities. You don't know when you go into school what the children's backgrounds are, what their hopes and dreams might be, what they want to do in the future. So how they choose to use what they learn now or in the future is up to them. I imagine a lot of people think that I or anyone else who teaches mindfulness goes into school and lines up the kids and makes them sit cross-legged, you know, with their eyes shut in silence. And yeah, we do teach little practices in our pockets, you know, little mindfulness exercises they can call on when needed. But it's so much more than that. The curriculum that I teach teaches the children how their brains work in very simple terms. And we we pretend that we're neuroscientists learning about the different parts of the brain and how we can train it to be more mindful, be more present. And so, yeah, we teach them about how it works as well as, you know, teaching them the mindfulness practices in isolation. The role is really to give them a solid base on which to build a mindfulness practice should they wish to do so as they grow up and go go on through life. Um, It's a taster of a school really that could last them a lifetime. I really love the fact that you actually go into some of the theory behind it so that it is, this is how your brain works, so that they've got that understanding as well. That's really good and something that I've not really considered before. It's so important to set the, the context. And I don't know what it is about body parts. It's just the children love, oh, it's a brain. That's a brain. Oh, my goodness. Are we going to take our brains out and look at it? No, we're not going to do that. But here's a picture. And I will explain, you know, what, you know, different bits of it do, just in very simple terms. But they love it. They really love that part of it. So it's great. And what would you say are the common misconceptions about mindfulness that you hear? Yeah, there are loads. I, mean, I think the, the one that um, I think is most prevalent is that mindfulness is, is about re- relaxation, relieving stress and just generally chilling out. Um, and definitely some people do experience that when they practice. I know I do. I love it. You know, I just feel so much more relaxed afterwards. But mindfulness per se is, is not that. It's not quiet zones. It's not mindful colouring or chill out music. Um, it can be part of it. 
but it's not mindfulness on its own. And the purpose of mindfulness is to cultivate the skill of noticing and being aware of what's happening, however it is, and choosing how you relate to that. It's not necessarily about relaxation. And linked to that, a lot of people say to me, oh, I can't do mindfulness because I, I just can't clear my mind. I can't stop my thoughts. And it's also not about that. It's about learning to notice your thoughts and your mind's helpful and unhelpful habits, stepping back and learning to relate to them differently. I mean, as we all know, thoughts can snowball and you can start with one thought and end up goodness knows where on the, you know, the proverbial thought train. But by being present and learning to notice that, you can decide whether that thought train is helpful. And if it's not, you can get off at the next station. So it's not about clearing your mind or stopping thoughts. It's about noticing and deciding whether or not to engage. Other things, are, is it yoga or is it just breathing exercises? Well, you definitely don't have to be able to tie yourself up like a pretzel to practice mindfulness. So it's not yoga. And it's not just breathing exercises either. I mean, in some mindfulness practices, we do use the breath as an anchor, as a way to train our attention. But you can use all or any parts of the body as a focus point or even sounds. So it's not just about breathing. And also just, I think, important for schools, especially if you're teaching in a school context, is that it's not religious or spiritual. Um, This is really important. And the Mindfulness in Schools project curricula that I teach is strictly secular. Um, I think that silence and contemplation can form part of many of the world's great faiths, but mindfulness as we teach it is not religious at all. It seems that an increasing number of schools are embedding mindfulness within their settings, whether that be as part of a daily routine or in other ways. What are the benefits to students of learning about practising mindfulness and what purpose can it serve? I think I mentioned at the beginning that it's it's all about the possibilities, really. Um, Learning to be present and in the moment can have huge benefits on mental health and well-being. If the children can learn to notice their worries, their thoughts and their feelings, then there's at least a chance that they can choose to respond to them more skillfully. It can help with concentration and cognition. If the children can learn to focus their attention and notice when the mind wanders, which it will and that's perfectly normal it's just noticing that it has wandered and then choosing to bring it back that might help them be less distracted in class and it's part of the course you you talk about that you know concentrating in class but also in extracurricular activities as well such as music or in sport if you can concentrate better or have you know you've trained your brain a little bit more to be able to come back when the mind wanders, then it can really help in sport and music. You know, we, um, we talk about famous musicians and sports stars who learn to settle themselves and concentrate before a performance, like um, Johnny Wilkinson, when he used to take um, penalties in rugby, he used to stand there, didn't he, with his hands together in sort of almost like a prayer position. So it's just centering himself and coming into the moment not being distracted with what's going on around him and they really engage with that sort of thing because you know most of them either play sports or do music it can help with behavior I mean it's by no means a, a quick fix and mindfulness is not something that all children will engage with or want, want to do but you know at least there's a chance that it might help them self-regulate you know they might notice that they're feeling angry one time they might notice you know that they're feeling upset one time and maybe they'll think oh yeah hang on a minute I've done this before well, I'm going to take a step back here and I'm going to see you know I'm going to be in the moment take a step back and you know maybe they'll choose to respond differently and one of the, the things that I've noticed that 
at my daughter's school is it it can help with their social and emotional learning you know with um friendships in the in the playground learning not not to get drawn into an argument or similar you know noticing how something feels and if it doesn't feel good deciding not to engage but also noticing how other people feel part of the curriculum that i teach is about reading other people's moods and determining how they feel, learning about compassion and empathy. You know, how do you feel when such and such happens? How do you think others might feel? And that compassionate and empathetic side of mindfulness, noticing how other people are, is, is so important. I mean, there's lots of, lots of possibilities. And I really like how you've linked that to so many areas of the curriculum. I hadn't even really thought it could interlead through all of those elements. That's really interesting. Thank you. It's all about possibilities. And to be honest, I hadn't really thought about the fact that there were so many possibilities until I did the secondary school course actually this year. And part of it was saying that, you know, it can help kids in all these different ways. And it won't always help the same kids in the same ways, if you see what I mean. It, will, it just depends on the person, just like with adults as well. I mean, mindfulness is, you know, it's such a wide general thing. If you can train your brain to be, you know, more present, if you can really train yourself to be in the moment. I mean, the possibilities of how it can help anybody are endless, really. It just depends. How can schools actually introduce mindfulness? What would you say best practice looks like? Best practice, I think, is to actually have a formal curriculum for teaching mindfulness. I think in its teaching, in its truest sense, it has to sort of follow a curriculum. It's tempting to look on YouTube or online in general, really, and get some videos and resources or, or apps even. And obviously, I mean, you can do that and some are better than others, but these don't actually go into what mindfulness is and how it works. Um, and as such, the benefit to children could be limited. I mean, you don't show a child a video of someone playing tennis, for example, and then chuck them onto a tennis court, <laughs> expecting them to be able to smash out a decent forehand. And there definitely is an advantage to following the curriculum that builds week on week, explaining, you know, like we discussed, what mindfulness is and the possibilities, what they are from learning learning it as well as introducing some practice so yeah if you, if you can get you know train one of your teachers in you know the mindfulness in schools project curriculum or other curriculums that are out there then um that makes sense and as part of that before we all did the curriculum the teacher training we have to do an eight-week mindfulness course ourselves with um, a qualified teacher and the course that we do is called the Mi is mindfulness-based stress reduction the mbsr which is a renowned mindfulness course and we have to do that before we go into teaching the children because without really knowing how mindfulness works for you and how it can benefit you and um, I've heard it said that it's like a math teacher trying to teach French without being able to speak French <laughs> you know if you have your own practice you can model what you're teaching which is really important to get the children to buy into it so you have to have your own practice so you know really what you're teaching them if you see what I mean yeah absolutely so if you were introducing it and you were breaking it down so you were really covering what mindfulness is how long would you say it would take to embed it say if you were teaching it I don't know once a week well, do you know, it's not, it's not something you need to do every day. So the, and I'll keep coming back to it, but the curriculum that I teach is, um, it's either six or 12 weeks and the classes are around half an hour to 45 minutes long. What I found amazing was that the kids remembered week on week, even though I was only there for say half an hour once a week, they really remembered what they'd done the week before. So it's not actually that, you know, that much time out of, you know, the normal national curriculum. And also just in between times, if you're the teacher, 
teaching them the mindfulness course and also their class teacher, then you can always, you know, recognize it. Okay, everyone's getting a little bit rowdy. Right, let's stop. Let's do a mindfulness practice. And those mindfulness practices that we teach the kids, you know, they're no longer than three minutes long or, you know, you can do a minute one. You could do half a minute one, just reminding them, you know, right, let's stop. Let's do a practice. So in essence, the classes aren't actually that long and you can do bits and bobs during the week as well, if you see what I mean. One of the practices that I really like is petal practice. If you Google YouTube and petal practice, it's just these flowers opening and shutting. That's really good because actually they're stopping and they're focusing on something. So they're not just lying on the floor. They're not just listening to some music. They're actually focusing on something. And that's, I think, the first step into it. So I personally completed a mindfulness course a few years ago, which really helped my own mental health. Although at the time I found the course really helpful and really see the benefits of mindfulness, I struggle to practice it regularly. How can mindfulness benefit teachers and how can we look to build it into our busy daily routines? What different ways are there to actually practice mindfulness? I guess in the same way as the kids do, you know, the possibilities are endless, really. If if you can be more present, then maybe you can embody sort of mindfulness in the classroom. If you can take a step back, if everything's just, you know, if the proverbial is hitting the fan, just stop, pause, take a step back, then maybe the children will follow suit. Happiness and calmness are contagious so if you embody mindfulness in the classroom then maybe the kids will follow suit in terms of practicing your yourself I mean I don't know during a busy school day whether you would get five minutes at lunchtime just to stop think where you are and do a mindfulness practice in the staff room it's probably not not ideal if there's a quiet place that you can go just to get that time away or in the morning before you go to school it all depends on what one's routine is I guess So to me, I did my mindfulness course and in my head, I failed at mindfulness because I don't do it every day. I don't sit down and do my practice in the morning before I go to school. I do believe that I bring mindfulness into my day in other ways. And it's just that I don't sit down. I'm not sat there doing a body scan or whatever. It's definitely made me see things and think in different ways following the course. For me, it's just not that. But then equally... So like this week I've been at work until ridiculous o'clock and for me it's like I need to build it in more obviously I feel sometimes and I feel like a lot of teachers would probably feel like that. It's like an ideal thing to sort of bring in but actually on the ground day to day when you're doing it, it's, it's hard. You know, it is really hard, but first of all, don't ever feel like you failed at mindfulness. Mindfulness isn't a thing that you can fail at. And it's, we instead in the kids, you know, practice, 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 you just do one minute, two minutes a day, or even just noticing. The fact that you've just said to me, oh, I don't bring it into school every day, or I don't do it every day. That's being mindful, because you're aware, you know, it, it is being mindful. You, that course has done you probably so much more good than you can, you actually know, because you're not, just because you're not sat there, you know, cross-legged, doing your body scan, or noticing thoughts, or whatever practice they taught you. It doesn't matter it really doesn't. So I don't, don't think you should do yourself a disservice is what I'm saying. How do you see mindfulness within education evolving? Well, there's certainly a lot of emphasis on mindfulness at the moment, especially with COVID around, you know, mindfulness is definitely evolving as, as a practice just in, in general. 
But in terms of mindfulness in schools, I think that it's only ever going to get more important, you know, as children's, you know, as children's mental health comes to the fore, especially during these times. And in particular, there's a, a project called the Myriad Project, which is sponsored by the Wellcome Trust, which is looking at how schools promote well-being and resilience in adolescence and the place in mindfulness of mindfulness in that context. So there's certainly money being thrown at this because of the, you know, the research and development that's been happening in it just in general. So I think that it's only going to evolve going forward. And where can teachers and support staff go if they would like more information and support about mindfulness, either through the platform that you work for or, or elsewhere? So, yeah, the Mindfulness in Schools project website, which is mindfulnessinschools.org, has got loads of stuff on it. It's got um, loads on the research that has been carried out to mindfulness, about mindfulness actually in a school context. It's got information about what mindfulness is just in general and you know, like I said, the science behind it. And it's got details about how you can get involved. They also have days, webinars that you can attend that will, will also give you those that information. And there's there's books that are just about mindfulness in general. Um, Finding Peace in a Frank, Frantic World is one of the ones that we recommend. Um, it's by Mark Williams from Oxford University. And a book called uh, Full Catastrophe Living, <laughs> which I love that name, Full Catastrophe Living, by John Kabat-Zinn, which gives a real, really clear description of what mindfulness is and what the MBSR, the mindfulness course that um, we all have to do before doing the um, schools course um, just gives a clear description of what that is too. Yeah, but just a, a Google of, you know, mindfulness in schools will just come up with a lot more results and that certainly it would have done, you know, four or five years ago. So if someone was interested in having a practitioner like yourself in school, what would they need to do? All on the website, uh, Mindfulness in Schools, there's a map which gives details of um, practitioners in your area or get your head to send, you know, one of your teachers on, on the course themselves so that they, they're in-house. The school that I teach at uh, just up the road, there's me doing it and also one of the teachers is trained to teach the curriculum as well. So you can go along and do the course yourself. I think you'd love it. I mean, it's amazing. It's an awesome course. So yeah, so there's a map on the Mindfulness in Schools and Project website, which, which shows where all the practitioners are. And in terms of the difference between primary and secondary, do you see any difference when you're delivering the lessons to primary and secondary children? Do you see them grasping it in different ways or appreciating it in different ways, depending on their age at all? Well, I only did the secondary school course this year uh, in August. So I'm delivering it for the first time two weeks today, actually. But subject matter, do you know what, is, is not particularly different. It's just the issues are different, perhaps. So with the primary school kids, you, you have more about the brain and the cartoons about how it works and noticing the good stuff. And, you know, sometimes we all feel a bit nervous and anxious. This is how, you know, these are the practices that we could do that might help us. But the secondary school course is probably a little bit more involved you know tackling issues perhaps like depression head on and about sex and relationships and you know your relationship with technology and phones as well it's just a little bit more involved you need to be on the ball a lot more with secondary school kids as I think and really really understand the subject matter which is why I think it's so important to have your own practice because I think that they'll come back with a lot more detailed interesting questions about the theory so yeah. I think that's why it's more important to know, you know, to have your own practice. The primary school kids, one boy said, um, can we make sick next lesson? I'm like, I don't even know why that would be. We'll be watching that. So I think there's going to be a huge difference. And you know what, I, I'll, I'll let you know um, after, you know, a couple of weeks time when I've taught the secondary school kids what, what the answer to that question might be. Yeah, I hope that goes well. Good luck with it. 
Thank you. And I'm sure those secondary kids can give you just as weird a question as that one. I know. I just, I just, I don't even know why you're asking that. But, you know, it's a good question. No, we can't. But, um, yeah. <laughs> you honestly can't even prepare for some of the things that pop into children's heads, can you? Oh, well, no, that's why I say I just don't know how you teachers do it. I was completely exhausted and completely throwing curveballs that I never thought I would be. But, um, yeah, it's all very interesting. And finally, and most importantly, if you were a cake, what would you be and why? Oh, um, French fancy. Oh, why? And oh, what colour? No. What colour when you have to choose a colour? Oh, do you know what? I knew you were going to ask that as soon as I said it. <laughs> I love these sorts of questions because that was, um, yeah, I didn't know that was coming up. I think I'd be a pink one. I'm a girly girl at heart. So, yeah, and I love those. They make me happy. Just seeing one of those French fondant fancy things just makes me happy. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much. That was so insightful. And yeah, it just adds so many more dimensions to what I even thought mindfulness was, having actually done a course on it. So I'm really interested now to go back and as a head of year, look to see how I can implement it and embed it within my um, tutor program for my students. So thank you. Oh, fab. Oh, you, you'll love it, Megan. Seriously, it's great. Thank you, Lorraine. That was amazing. You've certainly given us lots of food for thought, which I'm very excited to start working with. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please follow us on Twitter and your chosen podcast platform. Leave us a review and share us far and wide. I'll be back soon for another slice of tea and educate. Hold up. 